thank you for joining us for Pet Chat. We're taking your calls, 49216216. Dr David Tabret here, ready to go. And Cheryl Shaw, today we're looking at pets and apartments. And it's it's not an outright no. There's plenty of pets you can have in apartments. Absolutely. And apartments are actually being designed a lot more around pet ownership. Um, obviously, owning a pet is really, really good for your health. We know that it's well documented that it lowers your blood pressure. It you know makes your mental health a lot better. So just because you move into an apartment doesn't mean you can't have a pet. And it's really important to choose a pet that you are able to um, care for depending on your lifestyle. And there's lots of things you can choose. It could be fish. Obviously, fish are quiet. They're not going to, you know, upset any neighbourhood problems, um, you know, with noise. So fish is very, very easy. A lot of your pocket pets also can be considered. Things like mice and rats, if you're into that sort of thing, (laughs) or little guinea pigs and rabbits. They're also proving to be really easy to, um, you know, have and look after. And that care that people do like to have a pet around them is important to retain that in your apartment. Another pet um, sometimes can be your reptiles if you're into snakes and lizards. They'll often, if you can find the right environment in your um, apartment, can adapt quite well to living inside. Birds are an obvious choice. Things like canaries and little finches, they're very easy. Budgies and small parrots um, are great as well. You can even teach them to talk and that gives you, you know, that interest in spending a bit more time with them. But certainly be careful with your larger parrots. These are the ones like your self-crested cockatoos, um, your long-billed corellas. They can be quite noisy with mm. their screeching. I was going to say, is noise an issue there? Yeah, so, you know, you really need to consider just what type of bird you would get. But certainly a little canary song's not going to upset the neighbours, I shouldn't imagine. Not like the plovers outside my window every morning at the moment. Oh, yes. yes. They upset me (laughs) greatly. Uh, The noisy miners are the ones that upset me. Mm. Mm. Okay. So cats... Cats are great apartment dwellers. You know, they okay. really adapt well. They can live inside very easily. They do like to have a sunny window, though, something that they can sit and look out. You know, nice views are always good for a cat. And, Cheryl, we're learning more and more to keep our cats indoors, obviously, to, Absolutely. to protect our wildlife. But that is quite fine. That's not cruel to have the cats inside. They're quite happy being yeah. in there and yeah. relaxing. And also cats, you can actually teach them to walk on a harness. So if it was something that you were interested in doing, you can have your cat fitted with a little harness and take them out. Not all cats like walking on a harness, but some certainly do. Um, so, yeah, cats make ideal um, indoor pets. And as you say, the wildlife is protected. There are some dog breeds that are really good to have as well, but you need to make sure that you don't get a yappy dog. You know, like I know, Charlie, you have little Gizzy, and often our little Maltese can be quite, you know, reactive to noises outside. Definitely. If someone knocks on the door, they they will yap. Yep. Yep. So you need to, if you're going to have a dog, consider a dog that isn't high energy so that the breed itself is quite, you know, in a way lazy. So something like your um, Great Danes, your Whippets, um, dogs, you know, that tend to just want to lay around and not, you know, huge on activity. Certainly avoiding things like border collies, um, you know, your cattle dogs, your kelpies, those working dogs, they need a job to do and they're not going to be suitable to, really to live in an apartment. So something that's a bit more sedentary, you know, a standard poodle loves to lay on the bed. So they're good good pets to so, have. Cheryl, if you've got your dogs in an apartment, then obviously you need to be walking. I mean, you should be walking them anyway, but I guess it's much more 
necessary if they're not having a backyard where they can go out and run around. Absolutely, and... Sarah, because one of the things that we have, we need to be really um, routine when you have a dog. So, you know, routine is going to be very important. Getting up, taking them for a toilet walk. During the day, those toilet walks as well. Some apartments are being designed with special areas for dogs to toilet in. Um, oh, but wow. also taking your dog for a walk. And actually, taking your dog for a walk is a great way to meet people because dogs tend to be able to break boundaries where people wouldn't speak to each other when you have a dog on a lead quite often somebody will you know engage in conversation and that just keeps everybody you know talking and and the community nice and happy I always get worried when the hubby offers to take the dog for a walk you know down the foreshore because <laughs> it, it's a chick magnet it is a chick magnet <laughs> It's probably Aww. very true. Mm. Well, there you go. Yeah. So lots of different animals yeah. that you can consider having if you're in an apartment because I know a lot of people think, well, it's just mm. a no-go, but there are options as long as you do it responsibly. Yeah. And, and yeah, just the, consider the, those neighbours. It is important so that is, everyone lives harmoniously. There's also um, the body corporate laws, yes, bylaws you know, check and rules. And so, and... Yes, and, uh, but there has been over the last few years, um, probably the last dozen years, a push to recognise the benefit of pets and to extend that benefit to people who are apartment dwellers uh, by looking at adapting and changing some of those laws. So that that's certainly on the move, but it takes responsibility um, on a pet owner's behalf to make sure that we don't ruin that situation as yes, well. Yes, for sure. Taking your calls, 49216216. Cherie, your dog has uh, unusual appetite. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He gets he gets fed most every night. Um, he just he sometimes because we live rurally, he will bring home half of all kinds of dead things. Um, oh. Sometimes it'll be a little bit of a wallaby. It might be its rib. It might be its tail. But it's always rotten. It's never a fresh kill. I've all, I've made sure of that. So he's not killing them. He's just finding them. He's just finding them because he's got a, a he's a. Um, a Belgian Shepherd cross Kelpie, so he's that's his job. Yeah. So um, he's probably um, just thinking he needs to share that with you guys and bringing it back to his. his he is place. very proud of himself. Yes. Right. I was just my my question was as last week you were talking about the diets and things of animals and they're primarily like raw meat, bones, flesh, that sort of thing. Yeah, that was Denny the week before last oh, year. So right. do you remember? Uh, yep. Yep. I was too. Oh, sorry. I w- I just wanted to know: is that okay to be like letting him have a chew on that, or should I be immediately taking that away from him? I would take when it. When I find it, yeah, I would take it away from him, and it's mainly because of the risk of bacterial contamination. Yep. So you know, we like sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, dogs lick their wounds, and that's fine, and they'll eat this." And the, a dog wouldn't yep. wouldn't eat it if though if it you know was unhealthy. Yes, they would. Um, yeah, they would. They would. And um, we're worried about things like E. coli bacteria and salmonella on the um, carcass. So definitely it could be a risk of food poisoning. Dogs get food poisoning. Didn't know that. And as an ER vet, oh, look, I'll tell you what. I did not know that. Christmas time. I've never known that. Yeah, wow. People people always give their leftover ham to the dog. Uh, Guilty as charged. Sure. And three days later. Oh, wow. She's a bit green. Doesn't mean it's good for the dog. So you can yeah. imagine what this, uh, the worst pet what Cherie's uh, dog's bringing home probably looks more than a bit green. Yes, okay. It's, it's pretty, it's, for some of it's pretty bad. I just, I do take it away from him. I just wanted to make sure that 
like I was doing the right thing, that yeah. I wasn't depriving him of any doggy sort of dog thing. No. <laughs> doggy heaven. <laughs> yeah, no. like that's his, oh, my God, I brought a dog thing home, look at me. And what they do um, is they drop it down and then they roll in it and just to spread oh, the yes. smell around. Oh, they so, love getting that Yeah, scent but you're them. doing the right thing, keeping him away from that. Um, otherwise, he'll end up with a tummy upset and in hospital. Good job. Thumbs up. Uh, going to Bob now in Bolton Point. Bob, you've got an older dog and he's got some issues. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. 16-year-old, uh, D-sex female. She's been very well house-trained for all her life, but uh, just recently she's taken to relieving herself in the most inappropriate places around the house. And uh, we're just uh, wondering what would possibly be behind that behaviour. Now, is she doing this when she's awake or asleep? Uh, when she's awake. Okay, she, so she's just she, wa- wandering and going yeah, she, in the wrong place. Yeah, she's showing some signs of what might be dementia. She seems to be a bit lost sometimes as to where she is around the house. Yeah, we do know that this this occurs in dogs, and it's been called canine cognitive dysfunction, and uh, I guess dementia is a suitable kind of synonym for that. Um, It's sometimes we do also see, however, dogs that might have frequent urination associated with a urinary tract infection. So it's always wise to get them checked because if there is an infection there and that's causing irritation, she would need to urinate more frequently. So just make sure she hasn't got a problem there. Um, the other thing is, as far as this like canine dementia type problem, it does occur. There are some dietary supplements that can be used that are helpful and there is some medication that has purported to be helpful by improving blood flow to the brain. I think it's very individual, the type of response we see with pets. Like yeah. some will improve um, and, you know, some it may not make a big difference. But it's often worth exploring, particularly if they kind of have disrupted sleep cycles or, you know, they're um, making sure you're, you've got to make sure that you're well fenced so that they just don't wander off into the traffic and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'd certainly get it checked out in case there's a urinary tract infection and otherwise there is there is some helpful medication and, as I said, diet is sometimes helpful as well. So it's worth right. having that checked out. Learning so much about our vet, David Tabret. not only is he just so amazingly intelligent when it comes to our pets, <laughs> but he is a Robbie Williams fan. Yes. You've been giving me a lesson. All over. I'm so impressed. Were you a Take That fan or just no. Robbie? No, no, no. No, no, a lot, I, a lot I, of true Robbie Williams no, supporters will but, be saying. But uh, he did re-release some songs um, <laughs> on recent albums that were Take That Song. So There you go. Our yeah. resident vet could also tell you about Robbie Williams. We've got Des <laughs> on the line now, 49216216, taking your calls. Now, what's your question for Dr. David Tabret today? Uh, just firstly, I enjoy listening to your show. It's very good, thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I... Uh, my dog a lot of uh, raw bones, and that included uh, chicken wings. Mm-hmm. But somebody uh, said to me, "There, vet reckons it's not a good thing to be doing." Mm. It's um, it's a it's a very controversial area. Um, basically, there's there seems to be two camps, and I think that probably the answer is somewhere in the middle. Um, there's. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you my experience, which guides my advice, is that um, I've seen plenty of dogs that have got fractured teeth from chewing raw bones. 
I've yeah. seen uh, dogs that have had um, bones obstructed in their mouth, in their pharynx, in their esophagus, in their yep. chest, in their stomach, in their lower gut, and on the way out causing severe constipation. So the, pr- the problem there is that um, if there's going to be a problem with, it, with anything, uh, as an ER vet for the last 15 years, then I've probably seen the problem. So yep. the question is, how frequent does that look? It occurs frequently enough that I'm a bit, I'm quite concerned about it, and want to give good advice. The good advice I give is no uh, cut bones. So don't yep. don't let the butcher say, "Oh, I'll just cut it in half so he can get to the marrow." That's yep. don't do that because they'll chip it away. Um, I'm not a big fan of cooked bones at all. Yeah. What happens when the heat is applied in the cooking process? It actually denatures the protein in the bone and the structure of the bone changes such that it now becomes more inorganic and so it's able to splinter more easily, the bonds between all the parts of the bone. So it can splinter and it often comes off with very sharp uh, shards of bone that have caused, you know, perforation and damage. So definitely no cut bones. No cooked bones. Um, um, look, I've used the sun-dried bones that we can buy, and yep. some of them, I'm, I'm okay with the big ones, but the smaller ones I've seen cause some problems, and I just think yeah. we need to be really careful and supervise. You should always supervise your dog. Unless yeah, it's... I, never, I never give her anything like little yeah. um, bones from like a chump uh, chops that are like... No, that's right. Yeah, because they've been cut anyway. So the other yeah. thing you mentioned was about the chicken wings. And um, yeah. as first of all, as long as it's relatively fresh, because we don't want to have the problem we talked about with um, Cherie with her dog bringing back the carcass and having food poisoning, uh, yeah. what tends to happen is that dogs will munch up on those really quickly and they'll crush them down. And so they actually get digested um, yeah. in the gut as well. Yeah. So, um, and people have said to me, what about feeding chicken frames? I think as part of a balanced diet, that's fine if you're supervising. Yeah. I'm probably, okay. I've probably got and a few vets up in arms now. But... Yeah. I didn't know about other, other, One other thing I was going to say about, um, I've got a family member that would feed their dog chicken that has uh, you know, gone past the, well past its use-by date and it's smelly. Yeah. And I've said, no, I don't think you should be doing that. And they said, but dogs are scavengers. They evolved to eat. They've got bacteria in their stomach to deal with it. Is yeah. that right or not? No, they died. <laughs> dogs were scavengers and they died. Um, <laughs> if, we, if we wanted... A dog's length of life has extended so much yeah. that because we put in place good nutrition balanced nutrition, we look after them, we prevent parasites, we prevent disease by vaccination, we provide them yep. shelter and protection from predation and getting run over by cars. Yeah. Um, why do we want to go back to a time when, we, when they ate yeah. food like that? And they will, I can tell you, I've seen plenty of dogs that eat food that's a bit off and they end up in hospital. Yeah, oh, that's, so, you know, like the way I was thinking that it's not good to give anything that's not suitable for me to eat. Yeah, if you wouldn't eat it, don't feed it to your dog. 
Really, yeah, really okay. good advice. There you go. Yeah, we're learning a lot today, as always. Four nine two one six two one six with your calls. I look forward to telling my dad that because so many times I hear, but if they're in the wild, you know, they only eat every, you know, you don't need to feed them every day. It's like, Dad, they died in the wild. Well, the the interesting thing about feeding every day is um, I've seen a couple of different strategies with this, and uh, a very good friend of mine used to feed their dog six days a week. They seem to work really well, Mm. and I can understand the, the approach. Um, so it may, may be okay. Um, I wouldn't say, oh, feed them every second day. I think that's oh. a bit much. A bit rough. I'd be a bit hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've got to understand that the, the physiology of the gut with dogs is completely different to people. But, of course, they live in our house and we call them our fur children. and Fur babies. Fur babies. Yes. Yeah. Well, they even, are. Even when they're, how old's Gizmo? 12. Yeah. Okay. He's my first. He was my first baby. He's he's only eighty four dog years. <laughs> Bless him. Bless, Bless. that little man. Yeah, um, yeah but their so their makeup is completely week, though, different. So that that's okay to if. Well, I think you need to investigate that and speak with your vet about you know what's a good feeding strategy. Most of the time, people are you know we always say for puppies we feed them three times a day up to twelve weeks of age, um, and then like twice a day what was that six months. Anyway, and then when they, as they're getting older, so I usually feed twice a day up to 12 months of age. Okay. But you could, you know, there's no hard and fast rules. Yeah. And then once a day after that, except for my dog who gets a banana bread in the morning. Oh, <laughs> and what would the vet say about banana bread and their teeth and sugar? I say she needs to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. We can't all be perfect. No. Taking your calls, 49216216. We've got Deborah in Raymond Terrace. Uh, you've got a question for Dr. David Tabret. Hi, Deborah. Oh, hi. Sorry, hi, Deborah. How are you? Good. My daughter's little dog is a cross poodle shih tzu. Mm-hmm. And a few weeks ago, it was diagnosed with. Um... Sorry. Oh. <laughs> they are our fur babies. So she was diagnosed um, with cancer. Yeah, an aggressive form of bowel cancer. Oh, dear. And they've given her, well, they said three to six months, but she's been, she's actually been and seen a vet oncologist. Yes. And he said that with chemo, she could possibly get 12 months. Yes. But I'm wondering what you think about that, because I don't mean she loves her, and I don't think she's thinking clearly at the moment. Mm, Sure. Um, bowel cancer in dogs, we do see, um, not uncommon, like it pops up from time to time. And, um, I think obviously if you're talking to a veterinary oncologist, now this is a specialist, so they're graduated as a vet and then they've gone back and done an additional four years or so of training and sat further exams. (laughs) So they're like the top of the top, right? Um, so they'll be the best person to give you advice about this scenario. Um, one of the things that I often talk to people about treatment with cancer and so on with dogs is that yep. uh, uh, with um, chemotherapy, you know, we all have these images and these ideas about what happens. And we've, yeah. we, we know that pretty much everybody has experience or they know someone very close who's experienced cancer. Yes. Um, that's just how we, we are in our world. And so we have these experiences that kind of guide how we feel about the treatments. In people, our treatments are really designed uh, in a lot of ways to 
if not cure, provide a, a huge degree of palliation, which means that yeah, we're yeah. really trying to provide extended quality of life for yeah. as long as possible. In yeah. dogs, um, we don't need dogs to live another 15 years, okay, mm. because they just yeah. don't anyway. That's right. So oftentimes with treatment with dogs, we're looking at, okay, well, what's the best treatment that we can get that's going to provide quality of life for as long as possible if we are able to achieve remission then that's a good thing but it may not always be achievable bowel cancer is and there's various types so you know it could be adenocarcinoma could be lyomyoma these all different types um and each of them behave differently yeah they're actually going to do further tests on friday to see if it has spread at all yeah and then but i don't know yeah and, and that, that could be a way. Yeah, I don't know whether it's worth like putting the poor little thing through chemotherapy just to get an extra couple, few months with the sort of thing. Yeah. And I so, don't think my daughter's right like, thinking clearly at the moment. Yeah, it's it's a pretty tough time, and I think it's best to sit down and have that discussion. What I would comment on is that whilst we can see or have experience in our feelings about chemotherapy treatment in people, it's not the same experience in dogs. They actually, uh, we use different drugs, lower doses in a lot of cases, which we don't see as many of the side effects. Now, I'm not saying we don't see side effects, we do, but uh, we don't see as many. So it may be that the experience is, um, I'm not gonna say it's positive, but it might be a different experience and perhaps not as carry that haunting spectre okay. that you associate with the word. You know, they talk about the the, the fear of it yeah. and oftentimes that the treatment discussion means that it's really not as fearful as we need to be. But that's a very difficult discussion between sure. everybody in that environment. Now, we've got Jim in Thornton. You've got a similar question. You're feeding your uh, dog lamb heart and sheep heart, and you want to know whether this is okay. Oh, yeah, lamb and beef heart. Where, yeah, if they, they, they love eating it, and it's a, it's a, it's a meat. It's not really awful. Mm. Um, so it's, oh, I just wonder if that's good for them because they like eating it. It's cheap to buy. You know, you could just sort of pick it up from the um, shopping centre. That's fairly cheap. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you said, it's a muscle. It's a meat. Um and uh, I've, I remember working in my student days on a property out west in Queensland and served up sheep heart for dinner, roast sheep heart. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it doesn't hurt. Oh, we, I cut the fat yeah, off, you'd be off right. the heart. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we cut, we, I listened to your show yeah. before. We've cut back on the uh, chicken necks because they're too fattening. Ah, uh, fair enough. But no, that's yeah. fine. I think you're fine. As I said, as always, part of a balanced diet. Um, you know, so if you're using a dry food, make sure it's a balanced dry food, and that's a really good meat um, to add in. I think that's no problem. Ah, oh, good to know. Uh, we've got Chris now. Chris is travelling from Sydney, and you've got a dog that has an unusual appetite, also. Um, yes, uh, I, I do. Um, he he has quite a large backyard. Um, we have a lot of trees in the backyard. He will forage for. Uh, bits of branch and sticks and sit there and chew them mm. um, and in some cases actually digest them. Um, so I just wondered if that's uh, a problem for his gut at all or what could I do? Um, I've got, my dog does the same thing and I often wonder what it's going to do as it's passing through. Yeah. Um, I guess the main thing is that we're looking at what 
could we provide as an alternative for chewing behavior? Because really, yeah. they're not doing it for a nutritional value. It's really just for the chewing. Um, so I'd go back and suggest perhaps using the the proverbial Kong stuffed with some food, frozen up um, as a way of giving them something to chew on all day. If you just... He, he does. He does have a lot of toys, yeah, uh, chewable toys, but he seems to take a liking to um, to branches. Sticks. He's a two-year-old um, beagle cross, um, and um, yeah, look, I also give him. He loves um, carrots and celery sticks, so I give him those as things to, you know, a bit of a chew or to a bit of a treat or to chew on, but. He has these favourite branches that he keeps bringing back. Yeah. If you find if you find any of his chew toys that you can involve food in them or some sort of taste sensation, that might change them. Overall, the biggest problem I've seen is when dogs actually try and chew on sticks and they get stuck in the back of their throat. So yeah. the, the stick actually goes up into behind the soft palate and penetrates through. And there yeah. have, have been cases of dogs that have actually ended up with the stick up in the tissue under the neck, which requires yes. um, pretty uh, careful surgery. So it's not a habit that we want to continue, but um, no. I understand if uh, you know if he's going to constantly do it. And obviously you just clean up where you can so that he hopefully you know doesn't do it too much. So Exactly. Is this a, a trait for a beagle, perhaps? Um... <laughs> Well, I've, we used to have a neighbour who had a beagle and I, I didn't see him do too much of this, so I, I wouldn't say. Beagles are notoriously inquisitive creatures. And yeah. escape artists. And escape artists. So, they, they're, yeah, they're, they're keen to go out and explore the world and, yeah, I think it's more of a dog behaviour rather than a... Um, a beagle behaviour. I was going to say, I used to eat bark when I was really little and I turned out fine, but maybe that's not the case. <laughs> maybe they uh, should avoid sticks at all costs. Your bark is worse than your bite. <laughs> <laughs> taking your calls today. And we've got Margaret in Saltash. How can Dr. David Tabret help you today? Good morning. Oh, afternoon, sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, I've got a pup, a French Doug, um like like a Turner and Hooch dog. Oh, dog, dog de Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Yeah. yeah. And she's about five months old. Yes. And I just can't seem to fill her up. Yeah. And, you know, she's forever wanting to eat. And if she can get, she scrounges around everywhere trying to find every bit of food she can. And I, I don't know if I... I don't want to overfeed her, but I don't want to starve her either, so... Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the thing... She's a giant breed dog. Yes. Okay, so we about have about thirty kilo now. Yeah, we have toy dogs and, and miniatures and standard dogs of all different breeds, and then there's large dogs and extra large, and she's a giant dog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she's going to get very, very big, yeah. um, and it takes a lot of energy to get there. And interestingly, we were talking earlier about how often you're feeding dogs. So at her age, I'd still be feeding maybe three times a day. Um, the best advice I could give you about how much is that you actually can talk to your vet about getting a nutritional consultation where they can run through and say, okay, what's her calorie intake? What does she need? And depending on what food you're feeding, uh, you can work out exactly how much she needs to get. Um, the key there is that giant breed dogs, uh, we adjust the calcium and phosphorus balance in their food more than we uh, it's different to a smaller dog. 
Okay, so yeah. it's not just like you can just go, oh, I'll just give them the dog that I give to my poodle and I'll just give it over here, but I'll just give an extra cup. It doesn't quite work like that. So otherwise you're going to end up with cartilage problems as she's growing. So it's very important to find out what you're feeding, match that up to what she needs, and then you divide up the daily amount into, say, three meals a day. Okay. Yeah, she has a, for a couple of weeks, she's been all right the last week or two, but for a couple of weeks there she was eating so much and then she was bringing, like with the biscuits, she was bringing them back up and like, the other night I fed her and six hours later she brought all the biscuits back up and they were still sort of like whole and I'd given her a worming tablet because I thought maybe she, you know, like I didn't know when my daughter had wormed the last. And, yeah. Um, so and that, that's, a, yeah, that doesn't sound normal. If oftentimes dogs might eat really quickly and they'll bring yeah, it up she does. and then they just, um, you know, they'll eat the vomit back again really quickly. Mm. But if she's bringing up food six hours later that she ate. That's what I thought. That, that seemed a lot, yeah. you know, it should have been digested by oh, then. It definitely should have exited the stomach within two hours. Oh. So I would be a little bit concerned about that. There are some conditions that can cause... Usually they show up younger, so I'm just not sure what's going on there. She's been all right the last couple of weeks, but I've sort of cut back on what I give her, and I try to soak the biscuits because so, she'll eat a heap of biscuits and drink a lot of water, and then I think it probably swells up in her stomach, and so I, I try to soak them sometimes to fill her up more and also to to um, so they're not, yes, she doesn't drink water and get too full. Yeah, that usually doesn't cause too much problems, but I'd I'd probably say a visit to the vet to find out about this because diet-wise, um, you can get some more guidelines specifically for her as to how much you should be eating. And also, if she is doing this vomiting behaviour, as I said, six if it was 10 minutes after feeding, okay, fair enough, but six hours later, that would be a bit of a concern. So I think a revisit to the vet for a check-up on that. That's not normal. Absolutely. Uh, having a quick look at our weather update, thanks to our sponsor, Snap Freeze Air Conditioning, your Deakin specialist, remaining fine this afternoon, absolutely beautiful, and the next few days going to be sunny as well. Well, can you believe it? I think that's our time. It's been great no. today. So many calls. Unfortunately, right. we haven't got to our red-eye conversation. We'll have to catch it next week. Boom. That's why they pay <laughs> him the big money. He's good. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>